You're listening to Florida Capital Conversations, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight's Tallahassee office. Each episode of this series will take a look at the many different aspects of state and local government through the lens of our experienced legal professionals. Our hosts, Nate Adams and Mia McCown, have a wide range of Florida governmental experience and offer a seat at the table to everyone who listens to these candid conversations. Welcome to our Florida Capital Conversations podcast series. Today, our subject is the Florida Legislature, and our guests are Kim Case and Beth Vecchioli. My name is Nathan Adams. My co-host is Mia McCowan. We are so pleased that you have joined us today to consider another important issue associated with state government affecting the business community and our daily lives as Floridians. There are none better than Kim and Beth to kick off our discussion. So let me begin with a very basic question. When does the Florida legislature session start? Well, thanks, Nate. Um, uh, it, it's good to, to be with you guys this afternoon. Um, as you may know, uh, interim committee meetings have already started. They've started uh, the week of September 20th, and they will continue to meet uh, several weeks in October, uh, a week in November, and then a week in, in December before the actual regular session starts on January 11th. And it's, of course, a 60-day session, and it finishes up on March 11th. And this session will be uh, much different from last year because we were dealing with um, a lot of COVID issues uh, last year in terms of large gatherings. And so uh, the public wasn't really allowed uh, to be in the Capitol. In some cases, we could not testify in person. So this year is gonna be uh, much like, like the years we remember from the past. It will be, the Capitol will be open to the public. Um, and so hopefully it'll, it'll resume a, a regular normal session like we're used to in the past. Yeah, this is it really created probably some interesting caveats for government in the sunshine with COVID. And that's a whole nother podcast that we could talk about on that aspect. Um, I grew up in um, the legislative process. My dad lobbied. And one of the things he always said, I could hear him you know, explaining to his members, is that there are two things you don't want to see. You don't want to see how they make sausage and you don't want to see how they make laws at times. And so, you know, creating kind of um, organization to the madness and the chaos, you know, how, how does that happen? Do they, you know, who are the presiding officers and legislative leaders that kind of guide the chaos in this process? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we've got some really good people in leadership. Wilton Simpson is the current Senate president. This will be his second session as president. Kim, is that normal for them to serve two years or one year? How does that? Yes, it's a two-year term. Okay. So he's in his second year as Senate president. And he's also just announced that he's running for Ag Commissioner of Florida. And then the person who's going to come after him is Senator Kathleen Pasadomo. She's the president designate, and her term will start in November of 2022. And then in the House, we have Chris Sprouls. He's the current House Speaker. And then Representative Paul Renner is a Speaker designate, and his term will start in November of 2022 as well. Who decides, like, who the leaders are going to be? Is that... Are they voted on by the different bodies, the different chambers? 
Yes, each chamber has those determinations and it's by vote. And the party that has the most, that has the majority that's in power, uh, that will be the, the speaker and the president. And then you have the Democrat. Right now you have the Democrats who are in the minority party. And so there's a Democratic leader in each chamber as well. Got it. Kim and Beth, based on what you're hearing, uh, what do you think the top issues of the 2022 session are going to be? Sure. I, I think there are three issues that immediately come to my mind. Redistricting, the budget, and condo reform. So let's start with redistricting. Once every 10 years, the legislature is tasked with redrawing political boundaries of districts based on updated census data. Because of Florida's population growth, this year the legislature will get to draw a new congressional seat along with redrawing all the existing congressional and state legislative maps. The legislature just recently released new rules and disclosures that will be required as each chamber is drawing the new maps. And the purpose of those new rules, new rules and disclosures will be to try to avoid the partisan gerrymandering that is often, you know, can, can, uh, can come up. What is gerrymandering? What is that's the allegation, and Nate, you may want to take this, but that's the allegation that uh, there are partisan reasons that go into how the different maps are drawn. So trying to like give an edge to one particular candidate or party, the way you draw the lines to try exactly. to get Got it. Exactly. So how those seats are drawn will actually have a long-term impact on which party remains in power in Tallahassee. And it can also shift the balance of power in the U.S. House of Representatives. So one of the things that's always uh, fun to see, and it usually only happens every 10 years, is, is we'll see a lot of members of Congress uh, working the halls, going back and forth in the Capitol this year, because it's that time. It's, it's redistricting for both congressional as well as the legislature. Another big issue is the budget. Florida's economy is bouncing back in spite of all the challenges that we've faced with COVID-19. We've seen unemployment rates fall to about 5% in August, and the tourism sector has rebounded with more than 31 million tourists visiting between April and June of this year. And the overall economic growth is expected to be around 5.3%. That matters because our economic recovery has had a positive impact on Florida revenue collections. Those collections are about 2.6 billion more than originally projected, which bodes well as the legislature crafts the budget for next year. There's also approximately six billion in unspent federal stimulus money, and that can be used to fill holes or fund priorities. Last year's budget totaled 101 billion. And I expect we'll see a similar number this year. Hey, hey Kim, I know when we're talking about the budget and the different revenue sources that come, Florida, I think, is a little bit different from other states. How, do, how does Florida generate their revenue that, that our government then spends? Sure. Unlike other states, we are dependent upon our tourism industry service industry associated with it. So the majority of those revenues that are collected come from sales tax and property taxes. So when you when, when we had a year like COVID where travel was restricted, 
that could have a significant impact on Florida's revenue and the, the state budget, correct? Correct. And it, it definitely had, uh, there was definitely an impact that was negative. But I think what you saw, obviously, from, from the governor and from his leadership is he wanted to not see the type of restrictions that you had in, say, California, New York. And he wanted to make sure that we could get businesses and people back to normal in Florida as much as possible. And and that's why I think we're seeing the uptick in the economy, unemployment rates, as well as the, the overall economic growth. And you mentioned it's sales tax and property taxes. I didn't hear you mention income tax. Florida right. does not um, collect in state income tax from folks. So that's Correct. not general. It's one of the additional advantages to living in the Sunshine State. You know, we hear so much on the federal level, right, about debt spending and how much they're in debt. Is Florida different from the feds as far as how they do their budgeting? Can, can they just spend forever or do they have to make adjustments and actually balance a budget? No, like families, they have to balance a budget. There's no deficit spending. They don't print money. So they have to tighten up their belt when revenues are less and prioritize. Absolutely. Got it. The, the other issue that came to mind was that uh, we were all stunned by the horrific images of the collapsed condo in Surfside this summer. I think 98 people lost their lives. While investigators are still trying to determine the reasons for the collapse, I think you will see legislation brought forward this session that implements some policy recommendations from the Florida Bars Condominium Law and Policy on Life Safety Task Force. The task force is currently looking at things like how often inspections are performed. I think currently, you know, condos have to be reinspected every 40 years. And how condo associations maintain reserves and handle repairs. Clearly, leadership does not want to see another Surfside tragedy. So I think we'll see some reforms pass the legislature this session. I know, because you and I have talked about this before as it relates to property insurance. I know after, like, the big hurricanes that we've had, they do task force and things of that nature. How long has it been since they looked at the building, the building code? Because I'm assuming those are going to be some of the things like Kim was mentioning, inspections and things like that. I mean, it's been a while probably since that type of review was done. Is that correct or am I wrong? Like looking at the building code, the number of inspections. I mean, is that something that's ongoing or was, or is this a something new that we're doing with this task force that hopefully we'll make some corrections. You have any thoughts on that or? Well, so I would say um, the building code, you know, various parts of it have been opened over the last 20 years and revised, um, mostly to deal with um, inspections and also quality of construction. And, and it's usually as a result of, say, a category five, four or five hurricane hitting the state and then looking at the massive damage that is done to, to people's homes and other structures, and then trying to figure out how to change the building code to prevent some of that damage. And so uh, while I don't know uh, off the top of my head if any of those issues, uh, I, I doubt that, that when it comes to constructing condos that there have been that many um, revisions to the building code in, in the last 20 years, but, but I would imagine that that's 
one of the one of the things we might see uh, this year as, as they deal with the Surfside tragedy. Because it was an older building as well, I, I I think. So to Kim's point with the task force, Kim, I would think too, looking at how they, I mean, because I would think we have a lot of older buildings throughout the state of Florida and condos in particular, how those are inspected, making sure that they're staying you know, staying sound and safe is would be something that I would expect to see out of this task force. Is that something that you're expecting, Kim? Yes, absolutely. Are task force normal? I mean, is that is that unique? Does the legislature use task force to help them form policy or to form legislation? They can be used. In this instance, it was the Florida Bar who gathered a group of experts in condo engineers, et cetera. Um, to examine it, and then they're going to make recommendations to the legislature. Okay, that's probably helpful, I would think, to the legislature to have some some experts, right, in the field that are helping them guide policy and pinpointing some stuff. So hopefully there'll be some, that'll be interesting to see what comes out with their report and what action takes place. Beth, what about you? What are some of the uh, other big issues that you see upcoming in this session? Well, uh, Nate, uh, I'd like to start off with a discussion on property insurance. Um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of homeowners in the state have recently been receiving either cancellation notices or non-renewal notices from their homeowners companies. Um, in the last six months, we've had two property insurers uh, become insolvent and taken over by the state receiver. Um, and just on September 22nd of this year, so the first committee week of, of the 2022 session, the insurance commissioner gave a presentation to our Senate Banking and Insurance Committee and indicated that our property insurance market is dire right now, mostly because of litigation costs. And so I would expect that there will be uh, many bills filed dealing with property insurance. Uh, and also trying to tackle tort reform for property insurance. Another part of the property insurance space is our insurer of last resort called Citizens Property Insurance Corporation. The goal of that entity is to provide insurance for people who can't find it in the admitted market. And right now, because so many property insurers are either non-renewing policies or leaving the state, or unfortunately becoming insolvent, Citizen has been ballooning. At their lowest point in the last many years, they were just below 500,000 policies. Right now, they're over 700,000. And the president of Citizens has indicated that it's very likely that sometime in the first quarter of next year, they will have over a million policies. That's always an indication that our admitted or voluntary property insurance market is struggling because now more and more people are winding up in citizens, which is not a good situation because citizens can issue and levy assessments against its its policyholders and against everyone that has a homeowner's policy in the state of Florida. So I, I think we will definitely see some, some bills pertaining to property insurance. Uh, citizens has already outlined uh, several initiatives that they would like to roll out legislatively in order to shrink their policyholder count. 
So uh, it's definitely going to be a big issue um, in this upcoming session. It always is. It seems like there's always some kind of issue perking between the tort reform. And I would think even though it's not necessarily related exactly to what we talked about, but with the surf side, that also impacts, you know, Florida, our building, and, and possibly what kind of laws may come out of that. You know, that could also impact insurance as, as well, because it's all tied up together eventually, I would think. You know, our property insurers provide insurance for condos in, in the state as well. So, uh, they will be, uh, and and when the tragedy occurred, that building, I believe, had, I don't know, 40 different uh, insurance policies on it. And it, just about every single property insurance uh, company paid their policy limits immediately uh, in an attempt to try and cover some of that damage and, and for the loss of life. Um, so, yes, but, but I would imagine property insurers are going to be taking a much closer look at condos before they in, insure those structures going forward. Which could create additional issues in this space that we had not even contemplated six, seven, you know, six, seven, eight months ago, for sure. All right, what other issues, Beth? I know property insurance is a big deal. Um, what else for you? Are any health care issues? Yeah, yes, I think we'll, we'll definitely see healthcare issues. Um, last session, there were several telehealth bills that were trying to pass. They all kind of died on the vine and never made it over the finish line last session. So I would imagine those will come back, especially because during COVID, telehealth was used uh, universally um, and is still being used in some cases um, by some providers because you know, people were not gathering in, in person together, including including healthcare providers and patients. So telehealth is going to be a big deal. Um, there's There are a lot of issues associated with that. There are out-of-state providers that may not be licensed in the state of Florida. And so we have to deal with those kind of issues. And so, yes, I would, I would think telehealth would be a big issue in the healthcare space next year. Also, uh, any lingering issues related to COVID. Last session, you may recall, there was a, a liability protection bill that was passed by the legislature uh, to protect healthcare workers from liability. If a patient or someone, a consumer alleged that they were exposed or contracted COVID as a result of being, you know, with a healthcare provider or worker. That bill, when the legislature passed it, basically was only good for one year. And so we're coming up on the expiration of that bill. So it'll be interesting to see if they, uh, if the legislature continues that for, for another uh, uncertain time, given that we're really still dealing with some COVID issues. Just to add to that, Beth, um, Obviously, we represent some healthcare professionals as well. And, and as you know, as the Delta uh, started to creep back up, they've had to suspend some procedures that are not deemed, you know, essential. And so anytime you do that, there's always the risk of what does that mean for the patient and is there some liability? So I think that's really important. And it, it was really a necessity that they stop some of those surgical procedures, and um, but there's also some potential fallout. So I think it's really important that we have that protection in place and that it remain. And it's interesting in, on that topic, Kim, too, because it can ebb and flow. And I don't think we're done ebbing and, you know, ebbing and flowing. I know here in Tallahassee, they suspended some of those elective surgeries, and now they're starting to come back up. 
other counties did things differently because um, they may not have had the same situation going on. So I, I think that issue is is going to be around for a while as we continue, you know, as because COVID is still here and it's not going any, it's certainly not going anywhere. On the telehealth issue, Beth, I deal with that. As you know, I represent a lot of healthcare practitioners and practices and clinics and they passed a telehealth bill, right, to allow it a couple of years ago, but the devil is in the details. Even a lot of rulemaking hasn't come forward, and you touched on it where you've got out-of-state providers. I know the bill that was passed last time, there's a registration requirement, and if you're from out-of-state providing telehealth, then you can't have brick and mortar. So I, I can see there's a still, but there's still a lot of questions. And so usually in the, in the process, and y'all tell me if this has been your experience, when they make a change like that, like to add telehealth, that's usually not the end of the legislation that for a couple of sessions after they continue to come back through and may have to address because sometimes there were unintended consequences or things that come up that they've got to Address. So I think that's one thing that's kind of neat about the legislative process is its ebb and flow, and it's it's a you know it's basically a living, breathing creature. You know, creature. Absolutely. One of the things they were trying to add last session to the telehealth bills that that failed um, were uh, whether or not a provider uh, using telehealth can actually prescribe opioids and certain controlled substances. And because there was, during COVID, it, you can imagine doctors doctors were not seeing patients, but patients needed you know, some sort of controlled substance, uh, maybe to recover from a surgery or something. Um, that was, a, that was a, a problem uh, in the original telehealth bill. So, so there are, yes, as you point out, Mia, unintended consequences and, and, and it'll be fine-tuned and tweaked in, until they, they get to a good product. And I do think if there's anything good that came out of, of COVID, to some extent, the importance of telehealth and how it can work effectively and be cost efficient for the patients and for the providers. I think we learned a lot through that by the different agencies, whether on the federal or state level, allowing the practitioners to do that on an emergency basis. And so I think we, we were able to learn a lot and get some guidance from that which hopefully can help the state to continue to craft good safe legislation in this space. Yeah, all this talk about telehealth and insurance, you know, what I'm really interested in are birds. And in particular, I'm interested in mockingbirds. Can you tell us a little bit about this uh, kerfuffle involving the Florida State bird? Sure, happy to do that. That's one of those fun issues, frankly, that we'll, we'll enjoy watching and hearing the debate. Uh, Senator Brandis has filed a bill that removes the mockingbird as the official state bird. There are four other states that have the mockingbird, and frankly, he's outraged. It should be something that is unique to Florida. So I, I would say look for the pro-mockingbird coalition to spring into action to defeat the bill Perhaps we'll see a scrub jay coalition to advocate for the passage of the bill. And I think what's already, you can already see, you know, the media is having fun with it. I just looked at some headlines related to the bill. Um, here are a few. Feathers fly over state bird or state bird battle takes flight and out of the nest, lawmaker wants state bird ousted. So 
Senator Brandis is uh, term limited, uh, finishing up his last session. So I think it, it'll be fun to watch him with that bill. Let me ask. Let me ask you too. Uh, either one of you, feel free to respond. But look, if I'm a Floridian, I'm, I have a business. Maybe I have a particular concern uh, that I think requires legislative change. If I was interested in doing something about that, exactly, what what would I do? Well, I would say that you would contact a lobbyist like me and Kim um, and talk about the issue and try and frame it and, and identify what the problem and solution should be. And you should do that. If, if you want to pass a bill for the 2022 session, you should be doing that now because all of the hard work is usually done during committee weeks and preparing for committee weeks. Uh, once we get into the 60-day session, it, things fly pretty quickly. So you should be forming you know, a coalition of supporters and identifying who you're antagonists might be so that you can address any issues they may raise. Um, but now is the time to be having those discussions. You know, Texas, it's gotten so much attention about their abortion law that they passed and which supposedly it might even make it to the United States Supreme Court this next session. Do you expect any emotionally charged, you know, super High, what I would call, you know, nationally focused issues. Do y'all expect anything like that to be taking place this next session? I mean, there's already a lot on the plate with redistricting and things of that nature. Are there any other hot topic sensitive issues that might garner some national attention that you might expect to show up during the legislative session? Sure, Mia. I, I think one issue you already mentioned will that will garner significant media attention and generate protests will be the Texas-style abortion bill. It's already been filed in the Florida House. Representative Barnaby is sponsoring the Florida Heartbeat Act. As it's drafted now, it will allow abortion until detection of a heartbeat, which is about six weeks into the pregnancy. The bill does include exceptions for rape, incest, domestic violence, human trafficking, but Currently, Florida law bans abortions after 24 weeks, as opposed to the six weeks, which is in the legislation, uh, except in cases of medical emergencies. So I, I think we can expect some significant debate on the issue that will be a, a, a tough one, you know, that we'll, both chambers will probably have to grapple with. Yes. And I'm sure that will, as you mentioned, probably garner some public attention from protesters, you know, around the Capitol, which will also be interesting to watch. There, there are already some protests that are happening throughout the state about the bill. Yeah. When I saw that happened in Texas, I figured some of the other states, probably during their sessions, it wouldn't be too far behind um, to see how that all, how all that plays out. Um, Beth, what about uh, you know issues? I, I know Governor DeSantis has talked a lot about you know, social media and tech folks and privacy issues, you know, all of our tech space and data privacy, we all deal with that with the insurance regulators and healthcare entities um, that we represent and it impacts all of our daily lives. Do you think there'll be anything going on kind of in a unique way or is there going to be any effort to tackle some of those issues? Yes, absolutely. Last session, Speaker Sprouls announced that one of his legislative priorities was to pass a consumer data privacy bill, similar to what California has already done and, and some other states, to protect a consumer's data 
And in many instances, you know, the consumer is not even aware that their data is being shared. However, as we discussed earlier, the devil's in the details and, and there are always unintended consequences. Last session, uh, there was a, a very large coalition of all different types of businesses from all different industries that opposed the bill that Speaker Sprouse proposed because there were so many unintended consequences and to the point where it was almost impossible to fully comply with the requirements of the bill. Additionally, the bill uh, was not a tort reform friendly bill. It had a section in it for a private cause of action. So basically to allow a consumer to sue a company that shared the consumer's personal data. So uh, that was one of the main reasons why the business community objected to the bill and it, it failed. Uh, but uh, because it was a priority of Speaker Sprouse last year and and there's been even more discussion about data privacy this year, uh, I think that we'll see that come up again and hopefully they will address some of some of the business community's uh, concerns about it and we can we can pass something that that is tort reform friendly but also consumer friendly. It's interesting. Y'all have talked a lot about bills that'll be filed, that they died and they come back the next year. I'm just curious, out of the number of bills that are filed, do the majority of these bills pass? Do the majority of them fail? What, I mean, what has been y'all's experience and how that works? Yeah, um, good question. Actually, only about a tenth of the bills that are filed pass. Usually, on average, there are over 3,000 bills that are filed each session. And normally, 300 or less bills actually make it over the finish line. So uh, a lot of bills are filed, but but the the process uh, works because it it weeds out the public policy bills that maybe you know uh, uh, should not pass at this time, and and you know and then we wind up with a much more improved bill and law that passes. And Kim, once the legislature passes the bills then that it still has another stop, right? Before it becomes law. Right, then it's, after it's signed by the officers, it's presented to the governor. And then he can either allow it to become law without a signature, he can sign it into law, or he can veto it. So a lot of times people think, oh, we passed the bill, it's done. That's just one stop. The next stop is we work on the governor's office and make sure they're clear on, you know, what the bill does, what we're asking for. Same thing with budget. Once the budget goes through, he does have line item veto authority where you can go in and zero out something for whatever reason, you know, doesn't feel it's justified to be included in the budget. So there's always work after session. This is uh, coming up on an important election year as well, right? So not only do we have redistricting happening this year, but we've got the 2022 elections around the corner sort of is our last uh, topic for today's podcast, at least. How do you think that's going to impact this session? Well, it's an election year. So along with the legislators, you have Governor DeSantis, you have the Attorney General, General Attorney General Moody, CFO Patronus, they're all up for re-election. And then you have the Ad Commissioner, Nikki Fried, who's running for governor. So each one of them will have significant policy and funding initiatives that they'll want to see passed during the legislative session. So it's going to be a highly politically charged atmosphere. It's the high stakes game for everyone involved. And it just makes it more interesting for us 
to navigate on behalf of our clients. And, and frankly, since we love the process, it's really fun to watch. It really is. And I lobbied many, many moons ago. Um, and I got to give you guys credit because I do not have the patience for it because I'm just like to the chase, you know, we need to just, you know, figure this out. And there's a lot of, you know, for, for good reason that, you know, the dancing and the collaboration that people have to do to come to compromises on things. And, and as I think both of y'all kind of mentioned with some of the bills, you know, part of it may get passed one year, you've got to come back and redo it again. And um, you just, there's, there's so much to it. And um, if you're not familiar with the process, sometimes it, often can make it it doesn't make a lot of sense and I really appreciate y'all walking us through those issues today and hopefully we can get y'all to come back as session starts um, because we've got a lot frankly it's only October so there's no it's Florida so we have no idea what may come up between now and January and so there may be some new topics but it would be great to talk to you all again just to see how session is going and what kind of, you know, what you all are seeing and kind of predicting um, as we get closer to session. Yeah, I think a lot of folks um, in my world, they think about going to court first, and um, that's where I'm probably most comfortable. But the reality is that a lot can be accomplished in the legislative process and much more cost effectively than you might think. In fact, as litigation becomes more and more expensive, you know, it's definitely something that uh, businesses and individuals have to think about uh, because you can achieve a lot uh, with a reasonable investment in the process that ultimately can redound not only to your own benefit, but to the benefit of others. So I want to thank our guests today, Beth uh, Vecchioli, Kim Case, and I don't know about you, but um, I'm going to be looking for the Sandpiper Coalition when the uh, <laughs> debates begin over the Mockingbird and get behind that one. Uh, some of our folks here today. Maybe you have, a, you have another bird you want to favor, but we'll be interested to hear about that. Thanks to all of you, most of all, for joining us today. Please plan to join us for our next Florida Capital Conversations podcast. And also to my co-host, Mia McCowan, thank you for joining us. I wish everybody uh, a great day. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Florida Capital Conversations. For more information on our Tallahassee office, please visit hklaw.com slash Tallahassee.